Everybody turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. And I want to this morning read verse 11 through 27. And uh, I was thinking this morning in the first service, and I'll share it with you. I'm not, I'm not a scientist, that's for sure. Um, and so, but I was thinking about how much of a reaction is created whenever an atom is split. And I was thinking about the, the first atom and the reaction, the, the sheer magnitude of what happened when Adam sinned and split was split and separated from the presence of God and what that did to our world. It made a large and lasting impact in the world in which we now live. But there was a second Adam. And that second Adam was split and separated from God. And that impact redeemed the world and made a large impact on the world. Something that I was thinking about is when we look at the life of believers, what impact are we making beyond the profession of our mouth? Do we make an impact? Is our confession and our profession merely the words that come out of our mouth, or has our life been radically transformed by God? Do you look different today than you did yesterday? Are you coming and growing more and more, and day by day more? Do you look like Him? Are you growing up and manifesting the traits of your Heavenly Father? Romans is an interesting book. It is very challenging. I I absolutely love it. There's a particular uh, text of which we're going to read this morning in chapter 11 where the apostle Paul is writing and he is speaking to a specific group of people. For context's sake, we need to understand who who the people are he's talking to. In the midst of those that are sitting under his sermon as he preaches or his profession as as he shares something with them, you have two people that are benefactors of his words. One of them would be the Israelite people. They are Jews. The Israelite people are those that God has chosen. They are chosen people. He's chosen them. He has promised them. He has blessed them. They are a people. They are a nation of people who have been chosen by God before the foundations of the world. He speaks to them And he also speaks mainly to the Gentiles. Gentiles would be anybody else that's not an Israelite. It would be anybody else that's not a Jew. It would be you today. It would be many of you today. And so Gentiles are those who are not chosen. They are those who are outside the camp. Jesus dies outside the camp to redeem the Gentiles because the Gentiles, their call, he actually speaks of their call here in the first verse, and he says, you have fallen You have fallen. You have failed your call. What was the Israelites' call? We need to know that to be able to have groundwork to understand what in the world is going on here. God had called the Jews to be a light to the world. Interestingly enough, today, um, the, uh, the, the Apostle Paul speaks about Gentiles being brought into this promise. And now, as Gentiles, once we are brought into the promise, once we are a part of the promise, once then we are his 
chosen people, his royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now we are brought into that. Now what he does then is he calls us in the New Testament. Jesus then calls us to be a light to the world. So now you have Jesus calling Gentiles to fulfill the same call as he has called the chosen people. We, we see here that they failed the call. And then I want to talk this morning a little bit about why they failed the call. And what Jesus does, what God does, is he removes them from the branch. Like a vine dresser removes branches, he removes them that he might make room for Gentiles to be grafted in to the tree. We are the branches. So he is grafting us in to the promise. And he has called the same call he called the Israelites to, he has called us to, that we might be a light to the world. How do we do that? How did they fail to do that? And how are we as Gentiles who have now been in the church and have been adopted into the promise, how are we to do that in our world? That's the question. Because the church, because the church hasn't evaluated this in a lot of context of our lives, we are failing ourselves as well. I believe that the, the season in which we find ourselves in is God trying to wake up his church that has been grafted into the promise that we might live up to the call that we've been called to. He wants us to understand something. So let's hear from the words of the Apostle Paul as he speaks to the Gentiles, as he speaks to the Israelites, as he talks about where their failure is so that we do not fail in the same way. It's easy for us to sit back and go, how could God, how could the Jews crucify their own? How can, how can not only that, how could, how could they have crucified the Messiah? How could, we read the word and we're like, they were so clueless. Yet in church today, he is in our presence and we know him not. We are just like him. And I, wanna, I want for us to look at the similarities of our church, not only here locally, but then nationally, not only nationally, but then globally. We need to look at where we are at as a nation, and we need to begin to align our hearts back to what God originally wanted us to do. Verse 11, I say then, it's Paul saying something. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. They didn't stumble so they would fall. But their fall provoked them to jealousy. And salvation then came to the Gentiles. I don't have time. We'll talk about that next week. It's going to take me a couple weeks to get through this. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness... For I speak to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from death? For it is the first fruit. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Let me, let me just say something to you. We, we've been talking over the last several weeks, and we've been really, really pulling out key elements from John and then First John. As John writes and speaks to the church, he speaks to us and he says, if you have the seed of Christ in you, you will bear fruit. If you do not bear fruit, you... And, and you, claimed, you proclaim to have the seed, you are a liar indeed. That the seed bears fruit. 
So it is not good enough for us to merely proclaim a thing with our mouth and not profess it with our life. That the evidence of the seed we've received is found in our ability to bear fruit as a believer in Christ. He speaks to that here. He says, if you have this seed, you will, you will bear those things. Now, for the first fruit is holy, the lump is holy. You can't have a first fruit holy in a messed up lump. Okay? Because the seed affects the lump. All right? Then it goes on and talks about something else. I, 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 like, I need readers right now. I'm 42, about to be 43 and I can't even hardly read the words that are on this page. Like I go up and I go cross that and I go back. <laughs> I'm old. I need like a large print Bible. So annoying. I actually, hey, that's actually helpful. Yeah, that's actually helpful. Thank you. That's, hey, that's awesome. Okay, I can read that. Okay, for the first pray holy, the lump is holy. Now listen, if the root is holy, so are the branches. If you have a jacked up root, you have jacked up branches. That's why we've been talking so long. It's time to get rooted so that we can be fruited. You can never be fruited if you're not properly rooted. See, the church has gotten in the business of trying to deal with the fruit without then first dealing with the root. We're dealing with, that's what, no offense if you're a doctor, that's what doctors have been trained to do. They've been trained to treat the symptoms instead of change the lifestyle. I'm not against doctors in the house. I love doctors. Doctors have helped me. But this is how we approach the Christian life. He's saying, hey, let's, let's, let's work back and let's look at the root issue here. The root issue, sometimes, sometimes you have an addiction, but the, the problem is not that you're addicted to pot or to crack cocaine or to alcohol. The problem is you have some hurt in your life you need to work through. And so the church goes at dealing with the fruit, but we have messed up roots. And you will never have it's like It's like this. It's like some of us like to get in relations where we would like to help our kids. We see our kids, well, you're not really bearing good fruit. You roll your eyes at me, you're angry. I don't know why I'm pointing at him, because he's my kid. Um, you roll your eyes at me, you're angry, you're, you're all these things. It would be, a lot of times the way parents approach this is then to go, well, they have really nasty fruit. I don't really like the fruit, so go outside and you pull all the fruit off the tree and you take a pneumatic nail gun and a ladder and you begin to climb up into the tree and then pneumatically nail on apples so that they can look like they have good fruit. <laughs> That's how we live in the church. We want to nail things on people, but it doesn't really come from a source that will be sustained and substantial. A pneumatic nail. We try to pneumatically nail on people's life the things that we want to be attached to them, but there is a root issue. Guys, there's a root issue. That which is in you should change you. And if you are not changed, you don't have it in you. The power of God does more than save you then. It saves you now and it saves you then. Right? We, we, we have been saved. We are saved and are being saved. And we will one day be fully redeemed. How many of you know you don't have a new body yet? It's coming, baby. It's coming. I'm going to have a six-pack. I'm going to have a 12-pack. Nice pecs. Nice gluteus maximus. And when I flex, my baby's going to come running. She comes running now. She comes running now, but she'll really come running then. She'll be able to wash our clothes on my belly. I have a new body. I'll be able to see you come. That's wrong. That's not nice. That's, did you catch that? I'll be able to see her coming. That's insulting. Okay, anyway. Um, and it says this, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support, that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. 
You, you will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. Come on, the Israelites did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They did not believe that his death provided salvation for them. They were still, they are, listen, they are still waiting for a Messiah to come the way they want him to come. Come on now, that's real good. Because the church, us Gentiles who've been brought in, are really right now in the church much like the Jews of yesterday who we only will believe him if he comes like we want him to come. Oh, come on now, this still makes sense for us today. I know you're like, you want to go, oh, those Jews, oh, those Israelites, they're terrible people. We're just like them. Because we want to define him as he is, but at the moment you define him, God moves on you just so he cannot be defined. Because the moment you define him, we try to lock him into that thing. It's called denominations. It's called manuals. It's called structure. It's called methodologies. He will not be held by how you met him because how you met him was how you were saved yesterday. He wants to do something new and afresh today, and he will move on you so you will keep seeking him. Let me really blow your mind today just for the sake of getting you in your Bible. Let me do this. You know that scripture? Um, I want to propose to you today this, that you never find him. So you're like, well, I found him back in 1979. I don't know why I'm talking like that, because I was born in 77. I, um, I, I, I was born. I found him back in 1979, and I found him, Sean. I found him. He said, actually, you'll find me when you seek me with, with, you seek me with all your heart. You tell me who's ever sought him with their whole heart. You tell me. You name one person. Have them put their resume together for me and send them to me. See, the part of the journey of life is that there are always parts of our heart. It says your heart is infinitely wicked above all things. Who can trust a man's heart? And the reality is that the goal of that scripture is not to find people who seek him with all their heart, but it is, to, is, to under, is for us to understand that the journey for us is that we will always be seeking him with new parts of our heart that were not, once, that were not his at one day, but now is his today. And the more we give our heart to him, the more we seek him. And the more we seek him, the more we find him. But we never find him. We only find parts of him. Even for all eternity, it says, we, and we read last Unite Echo, we read that the beasts fly over the throne and they have eyes on every corner of their body and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, they, and they, every time they see a new dimension of him that they have not yet discovered because even the angels that fly uh, from Revelations have not really seen and found all of him yet. And for all eternity, we'll be discovering him. And you know what? Even eternity is us in search of new parts of him. Oh, my goodness. Uh, oh, 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 I just want to... Oh! And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Good news, the Jews that didn't believe, he can graft them in. And his desire is to graft them in, even though they failed. Okay? For if they were cut off of, of, an, of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted in contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Everybody say mystery. I am today and then in next week going to build and, and try to unpack 
the truth that is behind this, contextualizing for the day in which it was communicated and then the day in which we live. But the thing I want to really focus on today to set up the precedence and groundwork for where we are going is this word mystery. I believe that one of the things that prevents us from believing, and this word is 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 is, is Present, active, indicative. I really like these words whenever they're present, active, indicative because it is not that we have believed, but it is that we are believing, will continue to believe, and will always believe. There is a process that not that we have believed in him, but that every day we wake up and choose to believe in him afresh and anew. This is important here. And, 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 and part of believing is to keep him a mystery. To chase the mysterious things of God. See, some of us in the church have made an occupation out of defining him out of mystery. The Israelites, the Jewish people, they thought they knew who he was, how he worked, and how he was to come. And it prevented them. He was no longer mysterious to them, so it prevented them from encountering him when he actually showed up and walked amongst them. Come on now. And just like yesterday in our church today... He shows up in our presence, and because we have defined him and he is no longer a mystery, when he shows up new, we reject him for who he is because we've defined him for how we want him to be. And our belief, our belief in who he is in our own mindset, in our own theology, in our own master degree or doctorate degree, in our own theological, philosophical um, uh, position, we have defined him out of belief. He says, be encouraged because if your belief is not like, like the Israelites' belief, I will remove you for a time that Gentiles may come in and more Gentiles may come in, but I want you to understand that I will bring you back. All right. All right, here we go. And, all, and, and so all Israels will be saved. That's good news, right? All Israel will be saved. That word all there means all. Okay, that's good. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. All right. How many of you want truth this morning? You don't come to get a lie. You want truth. Let me encourage you today. If you want truth, it's going to cost you something. Proverbs 23, 23 says the Bible says that you, you must buy truth and sell it not. Meaning this, meaning this, it's going to cost you something. Truth is not given for free. It says the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. Guess what? To be led into all truth, it's going to cost you something. Okay? Oftentimes we think, I'm going to say this, the only thing that's actually free is salvation. But that doesn't mean it's cheap. Because Jesus paid everything for it. Salvation comes to us in a process. Listen, we, I, I actually said this in, in, in the recording, because we record on Wednesday or Friday. This week we did on Friday. And then the, <laughs> they got wore out, and you guys get an easier word today. Okay? Just, just, but sometimes I will say something just to tick you off on Sunday. This week, or from last week, I said some stuff that made some people so irritated and so confused that they went home and read their Bible probably more than they have in five years. 
I would rather have a hungry church than a church that knows everything. See, if the extent of your relationship with God is for you to come and me to tell you something and then you'd be able to regurgitate it to the next pastor that you hang out with, see, that didn't accomplish anything for you because you have no personal pursuit where you seek him, right? right? He's no longer mysterious to you because I've taken and removed all the mystery and now you have defined him by my words and you no longer seek him. See, some of the, our responsibilities as a pastor is to provide mystery for you that you go seek him. It's not to answer all the questions so you can define him, Right? So let me just encourage you, let me encourage you today, if you come and you leave confused, that's good. That's good. You should be confused because it, des- it puts in your heart a desire to seek him more. See, we think that salvation, I, and I said this in my thing, and I won't say it to you this way, but I said, sal- salvation, I said, well, let me make sure I say this right because I said this. Uh, uh, I said, we are not saved yet. That's what I said. And I said it real hard and, mm, we're not saved yet. Let me rephrase it and say it to you this way. We have not been completely saved. How many of you have ever been, how many of you have been in church a little while and you've ever gone to a testimony service? Raise your hand. How many of you know that much of the time when someone gives up to give a testimony, they talk about the fact that they were saved? I know people that are in their 70s that are still talking about they, how they were saved when they were 10. Because they think the only determining factor of their salvation is the day that they were saved. And they do not share a testimony of what happened this morning as God saved them this morning from themselves. See, it's our responsibility as pastors and communicators of the gospels to help us understand that salvation is not an arrival at a destination, but it is rather a journey in which we walk with him daily. Right? Yeah. Were we saved? Yes. And we are being saved, hopefully. And if not, you were never saved. That's what John said. I didn't say it. You're like, Sean, why are you being so mean? I didn't say it. John did. I'm going to preach the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's what he said. That we can know and determine. And I'm just saying you have to be perfect overnight. Right? Right, Brooke? I mean, that's why how Brooke can still listen to my sermons. Because although I'm not perfect, I'm becoming more like him day by day. But I still got some problems. Can I get an amen up in here? We got problems. I'm being saved. Okay, I I I called a friend of mine who's going to speak at the camp for family retreat. Right? Had a good (laughs) terminology matters. Family retreat. And he's going to come and he's going to speak. And I was talking to him about, because his heart message is God loves you. That's a good heart message. I want that. We need that. Some of you are like, we need a break from you, Sean. We need to know and remember that God loves us. All right. So this is going to be encouraging to my heart. And I told him, I told him, listen, I'm very concerned because sometimes we preach a message of love, but we forsake the elements of love that is a corrective father. You know how I know if my father loved me is that he corrected me when I tried to stick my finger in a life socket. He said, no. That's not good. But dad, if you love me, you know. I know your love for me because you let me stick my finger or tongue in there. No, he's like, no, that's not a father's love. So we talk about how much, oh, God loves me. He loves me. He lets me do whatever I want. He loves me anyway. He loves me anyway. So we make an excuse to never be changed. 
Because we're riding off an encounter of yesterday and forsaking to be in enough relationship with him that we allow him to chastise us as a father today. God loves you enough to say no to you. It don't matter how you profess it. It don't matter how you proclaim it. It doesn't matter if you, if you speak it. It doesn't matter if you lay your hand on your head, come to a good anointing service, have a pastor pray for you. There are some things he's going to say no because it's not good for you. And the reality is it might abort where he wants to take you. It might build pride in you. It might take away the humility he needs to use you at the magnitude he wants to use you. Sometimes God's going to say no. And sometimes our father says no. And that means he loves us enough to say no. See, there are some parents today who would rather be a friend to their kids than be a parent to their kids. Part of the reason we're in the condition we are in this nation and in this world and in the Western culture is because we have parents who want to be cool instead of being parents. Oh, that's good. That'll preach. But see, we, don't, we, we preach love so much. We, pre, we preach dimensions of love like a buffet. And we pick and choose the parts that make us feel good and taste palatable. And we reject the part of God that's judging. He is a judge, in case you didn't know. And, and even though he's a judge, yeah, God is love. But a part of that love is judgmental, judgmentalness in right position. You know judgment? You know judgment in wrong position? See, judgment in right position is when the Holy Spirit comes and convicts you. Judgment in wrong position is when you sit in the same service and you feel shame. See, see, the enemy can use judgment out of love and make you feel shame. God will use judgment as conviction to help lead your life into all truth. And it's going to cost you something. Oh, I'm trying. I'm trying. See, we've defined him and we so much want to see him for how he loves us that we've failed to be changed by him. Just like the Israelites, just like the Jewish people. We've defined him, this is how he moves, this is what we do, this is how we should live. And we have created, and, and listen, we, back in the day, it was like, live a righteous life in your own strength or you're going to burn in hell. And then the church went and threw it way over here and it's like, God loves you, you can be a sadistic killer and he don't care. Now the church feels the urgency to switch back to the middle and goes, it's neither of those. And it's both of those. And we got to wake up because we have defined him in a way again to try to correct what we feel like was bad theology within some instance is we are righteous before God because of what Jesus did and we are to live righteous before men because of what we do. By his strength, that is. Not by our agenda, but by his agenda. It's not agenda, but it's agenda. Okay, anyway. Salvation began before God even made the world. Revelations. The lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. The, listen, salvation did not begin when you prayed a prayer, stood up at church, and gave your life to Jesus. So you want to make it about what you did. See, it's about what God did. God slayed Jesus before the foundation of the world. Your prayer didn't save you. God saved you. <laughs> Oh, man. See, we've got to back up and get a bigger picture. We need to see the macrocosm, not just the microcosm. Mm, mm. People that can see the macrocosm, which is seeing in the mysteries of God, not the definable little idiosyncrasies of God, but we can see the mysteries of God and we can see the bigger picture, live hope-filled lives with joy. Okay? All right. 
It's good for me to know that he slayed Jesus for the form of the foundation of the world because here's the thing. Every time a problem comes, it means that God has already provided the solution for the problem before he got there. He has the foresight enough to see the problem before it gets there, provide a solution for the problem, and have it ready and waiting for you to call for the solution to hit your house. Listen, some of us need to stop going to our parents and going to our pastor and going to all the things that could never provide a solution before it came. They are only trying to provide a solution with information that they have post the problem getting there. But if we go to God, he has a solution and has worked it out and knew what was gonna happen and provided a solution before it got there because he had the foresight to see it before it came. We need to begin to go to God before we go to our friends. And to do this, we have to be able to seek the mystery of a God who can have foreknowledge instead of that which we can temporarily touch and see. Some of us go to our husband or wives before we go to God, and I want you to know you'll never live with joy and hope and peace in your life because they can only try to put the pieces together of what they know. He knew it before it got there. Go to God. <sighs> Encouragement. Encouragement. Mysteries are not hidden from us, but they are rather hidden for us. The Bible says God conceals a thing, and it is the responsibility of kings to seek it out. It is the responsibility of kings to seek such things out. Let me tell you, are you a king or are you a pauper? We have a lot of paupers in the kingdom that fail to seek him and fail to seek out the things of God. They want to come and be spoon-fed. If you're tired of being a pauper, it's time to start seeking him because people that seek him are kings. Your kingship is not determined by what Jesus did. Your kingship is determined by the choices you make. Okay, let me say it this way, because that was offensive, and some of you are going to disagree, and you're going to send me scriptures. So that was one of those things that I say that's rude, and it's cutting, and it's like, well, you're kind of right, but you're kind of wrong. I know, but I, 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 let me just help you here. Um, we are a king by birthright, but it doesn't give you right to be a stupid king. Okay, that helped, right? That helped break it down. I know I'm trying to make things a mystery and you go seek things out, but some of you just get so stressed out. And quite honestly, I don't want to answer your emails. Okay, anyway, um, moving on. <laughs> there is nowhere in the Bible that it says there are answers in God. It's only the world that sings dumb songs like the hymn, Jesus is the answer for the world today. But the Bible doesn't say Jesus is the answer. It doesn't say that. Jesus has more questions than he has answers. See, you describe and break down the mysteries of the incarnation, if you will. Use your intelligence, use your degrees, use your theology, use all your experiences to tell me how God can come from the heavenlies and become man. You explain that and break that down. You can't. Why? Because it's a mystery. It's a mystery. There are no answers there, folks. It's a mystery. That's why it requires faith. Faith is not the production of what you can hold. Faith is believing when there are no answers. Faith is not faith until it is applied to that which cannot be understood. See, some of us need to begin to chase what we can't understand instead of, instead of constantly sitting in circles and professing what we think we know. Oh, that's good, man. That's good. Some of us love to sit around the moment we meet Jesus, sit around and pontificate about what we know about him, and it prevents us from seeking the parts of him that we don't. Wow. Many edifices have been built up to get closer to God by our knowledge of what he's done and the philosophy of how we believe he moves. 
And we know what God feels about edifice built so that we could touch him. He scatters, he separates, and he splits. Because God doesn't want to be defined for the sake of your edification. Oh, come on now. Every single, in case you, in case you didn't know, non-denominational churches are, are denominational churches. We have a system of beliefs. We call ourselves non-denominational churches because we're a mutt. But you need to understand the reality of the issue is that every denomination or every church structure has certain standards of beliefs and that prevent us from encountering God afresh and anew. Come on. And the longer you've been in church and the longer you've been a part of the promise and the longer you've been into, as a branch in, in onto the tree of life, which is Jesus, in case you didn't know. See, Jesus was in the garden from the very beginning. Jesus has always been there. That, that's too much, right? We'll talk about that another time. The woman's faith in the Bible that wanted to be healed, wanted to be well, was that Jesus was the Messiah. It was her faith in who God was that produced the miraculous in her life. It was not her faith in that she would be made well. There is a faith movement that has made it about the stuff we get rather than the God we get. Come on now. I ain't against stuff. I'm not against it. In case you didn't know, <laughs> I flayed my hand on my car, and he healed my transmission. Legit. Legit happened. I like, and my son was doing it. My son was like, just pray for it, Dad, because when you, when you pray for stuff, it heals it. Just pray and believe in your heart. And I laid a hand on it. I was like, well, I mean, it was landing. And I was like, well, like that's going to happen. Laid my hand on it, prayed, boom, started right up. I was like, ah! So, I mean, I, I was playing softball. I was laying my hand on my knee. When I hurt, I was laying my hand on my butt. When it hurt from working out and doing squats, I was laying my hand on my head. I was like, see in Jesus' name. You know what I mean? Like, fix my eyes. I was doing, praying for everything. And then God began to tell me, that's great, Sean. You learned something about me. I'll show up for you. But let me tell you, I'm going to say no to that stuff because you're starting to seek the stuff over the one who gives you the stuff. Oh, come on now. Oh, come on. And it got to the point where he said, see, see, you don't no longer care about where I am. You just care about what you can get from me. Oh, sometimes God, see, we see God as out there. When, when God came to earth, died, Jesus came to earth and died. God came and walked amongst us and he died that he may come in here. <laughs> so I, so I, I, I forsake a personal relationship for the sake of reaching out to something that's outside of where I am, and he said, I've already given it to you. That's a mystery, right? That's a mystery, folks. It's not a mystery that I can walk and live and, and, may, and find my being inside of God. It's a mystery that the same God that I walk and live and find my being in has now taken residence in me, and I, he is on the outside and he is on the inside. That's a mystery. Try to explain that one. We need to begin to back up and stop praying prayers to a God out there and understand that he longs for us to live and encounter the God in here. This is why he's saying, church, wake up. Wake up and have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Not some God up there in the crown, somewhere on a throne. Th throne, not throne. Ah! 
But listen to this, the sweet, still voice. See, some of you, some of you only get goosebumps when he moves and thunder and when he moves and light and thunder and lightning or whatever. You know what I mean? Thunder and lightning. I don't even know what song that is, but I just remember the words. We only, but, but see, God now, now, after that, after the demonstration of Jesus on the cross, now he comes in the sweet, still, small voice. And he wants us to incline our ears to what, he, what the Spirit is saying to the church. Romans eleven twenty five. 25. I'm going to go ahead and say this. I wasn't going to say it because I was going to try to be nice, but I can't help it. <laughs> See, some of us are praying that God would help us with the car. We got a jacked up car. It's messed up. And we're praying prayers that God will help us. Now, now I just said that I've done this, right? So I just say polarizing things back and forth to drive you crazy, right? But listen to this. Sometimes God doesn't need to do a miracle for you to give you a car or make your car work. He has given his spirit in you to give you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and discipline, self-control. Some of you don't have self-control when it comes to your finances. And the reason why you can't get a car that will drive down the road is not because the enemy's after you, and it's not because God doesn't love you. It's because you're undisciplined and you don't have self-control, and you spend your money on your wants instead of your needs. The reason some of us can't buy a house, you're like, well, my parents never taught me anything. I'm glad you talked about that. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up because your parents probably did teach you bad habits and they taught you how to spin wrong and they taught you all that, but you have a new heavenly father now that's going to teach you all the new things. But the problem is we won't get wise with this because we're still living off of the wisdom of our parents and we wonder why we live and want our whole life. Oh, come on now. I've seen some poor people, some destitute people with destitute mindset follow Dave Ramsey's biblical principles, not Dave Ramsey's, but biblical principles and come out of holes and begin to live lives, not of want, but of much so they can bless here, those that are here. But we would rather just pray, come to prayer meetings, pray a prayer, God, heal my car, God, 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 give me money, God, change my credit. You change your own credit. You, got, you didn't get there overnight. You didn't get that 357 credit score by yourself. Some of you are like, no, now you're getting personal. Because I just ran my credit and that's what it was. <laughs> you didn't get there overnight. And you're not going to get out overnight. Come on, I'm just... Well, but you don't know God, how God moves. God does miracles. Yeah, he does miracles. And sometimes he says, no, you do it yourself. I gave you the power to go live a disciplined life. Now go live it. Oh, we don't preach this kind of stuff. It's all right. We just rather sit around and, 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 and pray that God show up when at the same time, God's in the heavenly places praying and waiting that you would show up. We're waiting for God to show up and he's waiting for you to show up. You've been empowered with everything in, in, that, that was in Jesus he put in you that you might go walk worthy of the calling that he's called you to. I mean, sometimes you pray and Bruce shows up and, 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 and that's great. They got happened to me. You saw my Facebook. I was praying. I was praying. And then I was like, you know what? I, I, I need $900 to change my AC. And, and I, just, I just said, I ain't doing it. So I was like, God ain't going to heal this thing miraculously. I did pray for it, by the way. And I realized he's not going to heal it miraculously. I, just, I, I tried it. I tried it. And it wasn't my faith. I believe God can do anything. I've seen him do all kinds of stuff. So I laid my hand on, <laughs> on the actual AC compressor. It's like, heal it in Jesus' name. And it didn't work. And so... Um, 
So, so then I just went to Brooke and I was like, hey, we don't have $900. We don't have $900 because we don't have a savings account. We don't have a savings account because we're responsible and we spend it on our wants instead of our needs. So we're going to live without air conditioning. And then my air conditioner went out in my house. <laughs> I was like, we don't have $8,000. We don't have $8,000 because I'm not responsible. I don't have a savings account. So we're going to have to live without air conditioning. She's like, I don't know what I think about living in this house, <laughs> you know, because it's hot. It was hot in there. And so we didn't live with it. We didn't live with it. And you know what I did? I didn't pay $8,000. I went and bought three window units and put those in there, and they were $100 a piece. And I'm doing just fine in case you didn't know. But it was in the obedience to do with, within my means, do what I can do, that God showed up and did what he could do for my car through Bruce, through the body. And he, and he took a $900 job and turned it into a $20 job because he knew something from, from a back in the day. Uh, can I just say this to you? Sometimes God wants to use you, and he doesn't do the miraculous because he wants to do the miraculous through you. Right. Okay, okay. You're like, oh, now, now you're getting personal. Now you're trying to make me be the hands and feet of Jesus or something like that's in the Bible. <laughs> I'm on read today. I'm on, I... I <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I think God can do it. I think God can take someone that's extremely unhealthy, that's been unhealthy in their lifestyle, and he can totally miraculously fix their heart and their life and their liver. I can, I, I've seen him do it. I've seen him do it. I've seen him do the miraculous. I've seen him, I've seen him totally, somebody that's completely dependent on drugs that without God could never come off drugs, never. They would not be able to do it. It, it. it requires a miracle to deliver them. I've seen them radically in a moment be delivered and never have a longing for those things that they were pouring in their life. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. Sometimes God will show up and he will do the miraculous. And sometimes once we've been filled with his spirit, he says you have the power to make good choices. Now don't make those choices anymore. And sometimes, I said last week, sometimes we, we, because we saw him save us one way yesterday, then when we come into the church and we get back into a situation, let's say we pick up the same drugs again and we do that again, then, then we begin to pray, God, deliver me like you did then. He goes, I'm not going to save you that way today. See, you've tried to define me that I'm going to show up the way that I did yesterday, but I will not be defined because I'm a mystery. And today, I might move differently. I might give you the strength to wake up in the morning and say no to that thing that you desire. And some people miss their miracle because they want their miracle to be how it was yesterday. And he said, the miracle that I give you today is the strength. Trust the strength that I put in you, who is the Holy Spirit, to do what is right and to do it. You have the strength. Now go, therefore, children of God, and be sons of mine. How many of you today, how many of you today, listen, this is so important. How many of you today have, for, have, have forsaken his movement in your life because you don't like how it showed up. Oh, I'm trying. Oh, my goodness, I'm trying. The Israelites did. They forsook their deliverance because they didn't believe the way he showed up was the way he should have shown up. And they prayed. And they met at the temple. And they were more righteous than many of you. But their belief, their, their cataphatic, this is, here's a theology word, they're cataphatic, cataphatic. 
cataphatic theology that I can define him. Their cataphatic theology prevented them from an apophatic theology. Of their, every one thing I can define him with, there's a thousand things that he is undefinable, that he is not. So be careful about your apophatic theology that oh, I've seen him move this way. And, and be careful be careful to set the whole course of your life on what you think he should be because it will prevent you from seeing him when he shows up in your house. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, listen to me, listen to me. Sometimes, sometimes God moves in the storm and sometimes he doesn't send the storm and sometimes he does to get you where he wants. Come on, I'm preaching real good. So be careful to not attribute the storm. Be careful to not attribute the discipline. Be careful to not attribute the hard things in your life only to the enemy because sometimes he will show up in a way that you've seen the enemy show up because he's trying to get you. Don't define God out of an encounter with him. Oh, my goodness. I think that's good. That's my introduction. Literally, that's my introduction. And I don't know if this will take several more weeks, but I wanted to make sure I didn't go any further. Are you with me today? We are Gentiles. I'm going to say this and I'm going to close. Paul is speaking to the Gentiles. He's speaking to the Israelites. He's speaking to the Israelites who have defined him, who believe him to be one thing. And the Gentiles, you know why the Gentiles can receive him and they can be grafted in? You know who the fastest learners in the world today are? They did a study. The fastest learners in the world today are not geniuses in our world, are not geniuses from the past. They are kids from the age of two to seven. Why? Why do they learn so fast? How come they can learn 10 times faster than geniuses today? Why is that? It's because they still have a sense of wonder and feel that they have something to learn. We've come, we become too mature in the church and we've lost our sense of wonder and the mysteries of God because we've defined Him and we have stopped learning we stop learning. And this is why he says that we should be like little children. That we might come every single Sunday with a sense of wonder, a sense of desire of seeing him move a different way. That we might open our ears of our understanding, that we might be enlightened to a new sense of wonder. The Israelites, the Jews, have become so mature in their theology that they were cut off from the tree and they failed to fulfill their calling, which was to be the light to the world. I'm closing with this. I'm closing with this. I'm setting this up for next week. So then you, us Gentiles, those that were far from him, those who were children of Christ, those who had a sense of wonder but felt like they were outside the camp. He says, now I've removed the Israelites. I've removed the Jews. I've actually blinded them that they wouldn't see so I can get you in. I blinded them that they wouldn't see me so they would cry out, crucify him because it is in them not seeing me that provides your salvation as a Gentile. Come on now, listen to me. I'm trying. And so he blinded them. How, how could God blind people? Because God will show up in ways you didn't know to get other people around you in. He blinded them. He gets the Gentiles in. He grafts them in. And I'm afraid today we have, as Gentiles, come to church, built denominations, built structures, built methodologies, built theology, built Bible schools. We built all these things. And now we are much like, I'm afraid, in the Western culture and in the world today, those who were Gentiles who have become holy and righteous and, 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 and admiring our own thoughts and our own opinions of God. We sit much like the Israelites did, and he's using things like COVID 
to wake the church up and say, you think you know who I am? You've lost your sense of wonder. You knew even as Gentile, you had a wonder. Now you don't wonder anymore. You know. You know who I am. But you don't know. And I'm going to talk next week. There are Gentiles today who are not fulfilling their calling and being a light to the world because we've stopped moving. You know what a light does? It moves. When you turn on the switch on, it's movement that lights things up. So you've stopped moving. You've become a marshy in your life because you've defined him and you've set up camp and you're still and you're no longer flowing anymore with God. You are immovable and you have, you have set up, like, like they get a glimpse when the disciples went up, they got a glimpse. Peter got a glimpse of God in a different dimension of glory and he tried to build a tabernacle to hold him there and he said, no, I will not be held here by your definition of me. And he moves down the mountain and some of us need to understand that God is moving and if we're going to be light to the world, we have to be moving too. And the church is failing its calling, much like the Israelites fail its calling. I'm trying to set us up for next week. It's a lot, right? We're failing our calling. I'm going to ask you this question at the risk of totally people just getting so mad. It's like, God doesn't cut us off. He's a vine dresser that cuts off branches that act like they're his, but they're not his. He's, he's looking at Gentiles that he's brought in, grafted in, and he said... Are you failing your calling? Are you being a light to the world? Are you bearing fruit? Church, wake up. Church, wake up. Because if the seed is in you, the fruit will be on you.